The following is a hoop ball presentation. Yo, yo, yo! What's good, y'all? And welcome to another edition of NBA Today Hoop Ball Presentation. I'm your host, Corbin Forge. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin NBA. We're gonna talk about the Brooklyn Nets today. Uh, just break them down their off-season preview. Just myself, yours truly. No, no, no guess for this one. We're just gonna go in, have some fun with it. Uh, talk about where the Nets were and where they're going. But before we even get started with that, I did mention this is a hoop ball presentation. Hoop-ball.com and on Twitter at hoopball tweets. But guess what, y'all? I got something to share. And guess what? Cause I said it twice. This is big. On Monday, after this coming weekend, Monday, I'm recording this right now on the seventh of November. That is a Saturday night. This Monday, Hoopball's entire portfolio of goodies for the 2020-2021 season is coming out. All of it. The draft guide, a future access pass to Brewski 150, our brand new fantasy pass, DFS pass, wager pass, and the Hoopball 360 membership plans. They all coming out Monday. Here's a little more on it. All y'all know what the draft guide and Brewski 150 are. In case you don't, here's a brief little reminder. The guide is the best NBA fantasy draft resource on earth, and the Brewski 150 is the single best rank list every year for a decade, y'all. But Hoopball's new subscriptions are going to revolutionize, revolutionize excuse me, how you play fantasy, bet, and watch the NBA. The Fantasy Pass has the draft guide, has Brewski 150, and all of our in-season tools in it. Everything. The DFS Pass has lineups and Discord chats, and the Wager Pass has winners from the best young handicappers in the industry. You're going to have your mind blown, y'all, at extraordinary low monthly rates. All you have to do is make sure that you follow Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter all together, Hoopball Fantasy, for updates. Or just head to hoop-ball.com, just said it, and sign up for the email list to make sure that you get alerted when it's out. So again, two ways to find all this. I'll run through one more time. You get the draft guide, the Brewski 150, the brand new Fantasy Pass, the DFS Pass, the Wager Pass, and the Hoopball 360. All you got to do is go to Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter. Hoopball Fantasy or hoop-ball.com and sign up for that email list so you are one of the first to know when it comes out. Make sure you do because uh, the season, brief little piece of news, not really news, we talked about it last show, NBA was more than likely going to restart their season on December 22nd and they voted and yeah, it's, it's going to happen. December 22nd is that time. That's a month and some change from now. The draft is literally a week and a half away. Free agency, not even a week after that. Like Things are going to be popping like pow, pow, pow. They're just kind of one after the other so you might as well get your edge but on the season starting again, you're going to have teams that you haven't seen in almost a whole calendar year. <laughs> like, it's about to be NBA madness, y'all. So, make sure that y'all do that. I for sure. But, um, let's get talking to the Brooklyn Nets now. <laughs> All right, so, the Brooklyn Nets, they were an interesting team this past year. Obviously, the news about KD and Kyrie coming over in free agency really set the tone for Brooklyn, even knowing that KD was going to miss the entire year, uh, obviously being injured from last year's NBA Finals. But, the Nets finished... 35 and 37. They were seventh in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they end up making the playoffs, but being swept in the first round by the Toronto Raptors. They had Coach Kenny Atkinson. He'd been coached for a few years already through the first most of the season, uh, and he went 28 and 34 before uh, he and the Nets parted ways. And then they were helmed by Jock Vaughn, who went 7 and 3 uh, for the remainder of the regular season into the playoffs. Uh, the Nets were. Excuse me there. They were 22nd offensive rating and they were 9th in defensive rating. And they it was interesting because defensively having 
Jared Allen having the the acquisition alongside KD and Kyrie of DeAndre Jordan really helped. The Nets would funnel you know a lot of shots into the interior, where obviously those guys were very good rim deterrents. Uh, the defense is pretty solid. Offensively, it was disjointed all the while. You're already not having KD. You only had Kyrie for 20 games. And so the offense kind of came through different players. Spencer Dinwiddie took a big role. Um, Karis LeVert took on a big role. Um, other guys were forced to do a lot more on-ball creation. And you didn't have a go-to shot creator after those two. You know what I mean? At least for extended stretches. Both Levert and Dinwiddie have had moments, you know, most of them last year with the Nets. But it was totally different in this environment. But even with that, they were able to scrap and, and, and fight their way or claw their way into a playoff spot. And so the highlights, I'd say, acquiring both Kyrie and KD in the summer was huge. Obviously, it was a long game because they weren't just going for this season alone already knowing that KD would be out. It was really for what those two could become and, and, and hope that, you know, the play of Kevin Durant uh, when he returns would be still one of the top 10 players in the NBA. That that was the hope because um, and he, he was that guy. Uh, before he went down, we all knew how he was playing for the Warriors um, uh, all the way up to, you know, that, that last stretch where he did get injured in the NBA Finals. So it, it was something there. I don't know where I look at it in. I mean, rupturing your Achilles is, is pretty rough. And when I say that, I mean, I've, I've fortunately never had that. I'm just saying in terms of how your play bounces back from that, you know? And for someone that's almost seven foot, has an unblockable jumper, can get kind of where he needs to go, kind of as a thin frame, doesn't really rely too much on explosiveness. Like, it's hard to analyze that and compare it with other players who have suffered the injury when Kevin Durant's kind of a different player, you know, just in general. At the same time, he will be 32 by the time the season starts again, so there is some aging concerns, even though I do feel that he will age gracefully. That That is something, but that actually falls for a low light in terms of the injury uh, to KD. But another thing that I thought was really cool for the Nets down to stretch was not only how well they pulled together to make the playoffs, even, you know, being, you know, a... a a pretty bad team in a, in a very weak Eastern Conference this past season. But I also was impressed by the play of Karis LeVert. I think he took another strong step forward in his development. You know, he had already shown glimpses of star potential in the past, but obviously injuries were a big concern. But he's someone who came up huge. He had a, in March against the Celtics, he had a career-high 50 points, including a crazy 37 in the fourth quarter in overtime alone. During the entire time, he shot 11 of 16 from the field and 4 of 7 from three-point range. It was it was amazing, but that wasn't just it. He had another game uh, before Boston. This was in February against Toronto, where he went off to, I guess, his previous career high, 37 points, hitting 6-7 from three, um, getting to the line. You know, he was, one, he was very solid that way. Now, his three-point shot came and went for the season. It wasn't a, a go-to thing. I mean, ultimately, when you look at it, he shot a solid enough percentage from three, 36% on just under five attempts a night. But at the same time, we had games where because his outside shot was, let's just say, streaky or, or not as consistent as usual, uh, especially in the playoffs, teams were able to kind of lax off, Toronto in particular, forced him to become a playmaker. And while he did have a lot of gaudy assist numbers to the wards the second half of the year and definitely in the playoffs, he wasn't half the threat of a shooter in that way. And I think that becoming you know, a more consistent shooter would diversify his offensive game. But he was someone that is shown himself to be a star uh potentially and when i think star I'm, I'm i'm not gonna lie i mean i'll talk about this a little later when i when i go into uh the superlatives i'm not saying like i don't know i think there's more nuance to it like i said i'll save it for later but i think that was a highlight definitely seeing Kyrie avert kind of step up 
in the absence of both KD and Kyrie and seeing, okay, he can do a little more of this and sustain that throughout an extended stretch of games. For the record, he played 45. Um, Lowlights, injuries had to be, I mean, they had injuries up and down the roster for sure. Uh, Obviously, Kyrie missing uh, most of the season was not in the cards. KD missing what he did was, and so you had to worry about that. That that wasn't great, and I think that took a lot of the continuity out. Um, and then obviously once the season restarted and and COVID happened, it was an issue as well because you're now recovering, and when you start the season back over, half you know DeAndre Jordan wasn't able to come, Wilson Chandler was out. There was a lot of players who weren't able to to make it, um, and I think that was something. But Kyrie Avert missed 25 games. In the 14, he came off the bench. Remember, he had the thumb surgery. Um, you had a couple from Spencer Dinwiddie. It was a few. It was a few. Uh, Wilson Chandler, I, I forgot to mention, aside from not joining them in the bubble, he had a 25-game suspension. So that uh, pushed Torian Prince to be, like, the main guy uh, as power forward. And Torian Prince is a decent player, solid enough rotation player, but I don't look at him as someone that's going to be, like, a starter for, for a good or even solid team, you know? I think that he is what I wish, and not just because uh, of any comparisons, but I feel like he is what, like, the hope of Torian Prince would be like a Jay Crowder. You know what I mean? But anyways, that was down. Um, the, the the dismissal of Kenny Atkinson sucked. He was someone who had seen the Nets up to a certain point, uh, starting from literally the bottom, you know, when they were trash in 2015, 16, you know, those kind of years, 16, 17, and then getting them back to last year where they made the playoffs, and, and now this was almost like the next step in that evolution where you do have two stars and now you can actually put yourself up with talk such as, you know, championships, like contention in that way that the Nets have not been able to say for a great many years, but especially over the last five, six years. And to see that, you know, ultimately egos kind of got in the way, obviously it was a bad year for Brooklyn with injuries and disjointedness, but having KD and Kyrie and, and Kenny Atkinson, whether it was a, a meeting of the minds that went sour, whatever the case with the front office, it didn't work out. And so... That was unfortunate. You know, Jock Vaughn um, kind of helped them, and now you have a new coaching staff with Steve Nash at the helm alongside basically any member of the 2005-2006 Phoenix Suns because um, you have Amari Stoudemire and uh, Mike D'Antonio, assistant coaches. So it's, it's fun in that way. But moving on, that, I do think that was a low light for them just because it, it, it doesn't strike a bad it doesn't give a bad look on coaches who oversee development of teams from like the bottom of the gutter to like respectability, and then they have to they have to go. I, I guess the logic being that the, they were a coach to bring that team to a certain place, but that they weren't the coach to see the transformation all the way, which I call balderdash on. I really don't think that's a thing. I think if you were able to bring a team from the depths of the conference to like a middle of the pack, and then were you know by however chance it was given acquire two stars to one that team that you could then take another leap that's just my head I, I don't think you have coaches that are just great for digging from one level to two I, that's not the way I look at it so it, it was disappointing to me but it is what it is uh think speaking of that thoughts on the coaching staff in the front office I don't really know what to think about the coaching staff Steve Nash um and Kyrie and Kevin Durant are definitely interesting folks uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie definitely being their own kind of free will uh players slash coaches in terms of how they look at the game and how much uh, influence they want to have. Steve Nash being a first-time coach in any capacity, especially in, in a head coaching position, he definitely surrounds himself with a stable uh, a stable of experience coaches, at least in Mike D'Antoni and others. Amari Stoudemire, to the best of my knowledge, is his first year as well as an assistant coach or a coach of any kind, so that should be interesting. I don't really have any thoughts on how this is going to come together. 
You know what I mean? I think I have to watch. Uh, there's not even any scheme to kind of pull off of, to be honest with you. Uh, there really isn't. Nash was a player development coach with the Golden State Warriors. Uh, last time I remember, Mario Stoudemire was playing in the Big Three. Mike D'Antoni, we know what he do, did from you know the Houston Rockets tenure to over the last couple of years. So it's really interesting to think of how that will all work together. As far as the front office, Sean Marks has done a great job, you know, uh, up to the Atkinson dismissal, firing, whatever the case you want to call it. I think he's done a great job of building this team up from the bottom to where they are now, to not only being an appealing target for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, because you can't just play the game of, oh, well, they were a team that had cap space because the Knicks had it too. But the Nets actually they have a future in the Knicks. <laughs> they look like the Knicks, right? So you got to give them some credit there. Uh, but I, I guess this year, I think, will be really important to how we evaluate the front office because they were the ones who ultimately made the move to move on from their coach. They were the ones who ultimately brought in Steve Nash and, you know, Amari and, and D'Antoni and all these other guys. And so this upcoming season will be telling on the coaching staff to see how they can run this team and on the front office to see whether those moves they made last season will pay off this season and whether that direction that they're going in is one that is beneficial for all. So that's my thoughts on that. It's a kind of an incomplete, although I will grade the front office with a B because of how well they have done up to this point. They haven't really made any dumb decisions that I can think of, you know? If y'all have any that y'all can think of, just let me know, at CorbinNBA on Twitter. But I, I, I think I'll have a dry Twitter tonight, I'm just saying. Anyways, moving right along. Let's talk about the players that are under contract for 2020-2021. Obviously, you have Kevin Durant, 32, didn't play this past season. Kyrie Irving, 27, he averaged 27 points. Five rebounds and six assists over 20 games, shooting 52% from two, 39% from three, and 92% from the line. Kyrie's Kyrie's hitting his prime. We'll have to see how he's able to work through, you know, he's been an injury-prone player. He just has. Uh, one of the best point guards when he laces him up, so it'll be interesting to see how he works with Kevin Durant. He had a couple of big games uh, in Brooklyn. His first Brooklyn game for the 50-pointer and a barely missed game winner against Minnesota. So it'll be fun to kind of look back and see uh, how Kyrie will play, especially, you know, fully healthy. And by all accounts, he says that he is. So we will be able to see him in all his glory there. But in 20 games, pretty solid. You just hope you get a, a pretty healthy campaign out of him for the long haul. Karis LeVert, we already talked about him some, but uh, over 45 games, he averaged 18 points, four rebounds, four assists, shot 45% from two, 36% from three, and 71% from the free throw line. Can definitely improve from the three from the free throw line and shooting into three, but I love the way that he was able to create his own offense more consistently, especially down the stretch where he was the main guy for Brooklyn. Love the fact that he was able to be more of an initiator, uh, more of a playmaker um, off the top and do a very effective job at that. And, you know, only 25, again, like, the potential is still there, and I, I definitely see him reaching that. Now, whether it is in Brooklyn or as a trade piece to another team, whether that's New Orleans or whatever the case may be, I don't know. But I'm very high on Karis LeVert. Torian Prince, eh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, Torian Prince is good. I mean, nope, that's that's not what I meant. Torian Prince is, is solid. He's average. He averaged 12.6 rebounds, 2 assists. He, he's a guy who takes a lot of uh, threes, even though he's not maybe the best at shooting them, but someone who I think held down the power forward spot reasonably well, uh, considering the situation. And I think that's the best way to put it. Considering the situation, uh, Torian Prince, he did okay. Um, it remains to be seen whether, I, I, ideally, I think he would come off the bench. Uh, he shot 36%. No, not was, I'm sorry, I got mixed up with Karis LeVert there. Uh, Torian Prince shot 33%. From three, uh, played 64 games. Definitely one of the healthier Nets uh, on the roster <laughs> this past season. In 30 big minutes a game, did not shoot super great from two. Uh, you know, low 40s, but someone who 
I don't know. I think he's best kind of solid coming off the bench. If he can become more of a defensive stopper or someone that can pretend to be that, that would be pretty solid, uh, especially since the Nets are going to need that player a little more on that later. But that's something that I would think about. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, I think he had a solid campaign as well. Uh, he played uh, another guy who was fairly healthy, missed a couple of games, but aside from that was the second highest score on the Nets. He averaged 20 points to go along with three rebounds and just under seven assists a game. Uh, he shot 48% from two. That was really solid. He was the best three-point shooter. He took up six threes a night. He shot 30%, one of the worst three-point shooters on the net for the number of attempts. He's kind of battling uh, Wilson Chandler, who in his uh, 35 games uh, took up, what, just under three threes a night. So, you know, he, he had one of his uh, worst three-point shooting year, years for his career, but someone who definitely was carrying the offense for a, a large portion alongside Karis LeVert, and more so because he played 20-plus games more than LeVert did. You know, he was someone that you kind of had to focus on for Brooklyn to, to, to manufacture points. And that was an issue for the Nets, and we talked about that already before, but offensively, man, it was rough. It was rough. We go down to DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan played 56 games, age 31. You know he shoots well from two because most of his conversions are dunks or plays right underneath the basket, point-blank range. Excuse the motorcycle. He averaged eight points and ten rebounds a night. Free throws, I mean, 68%. Let's give a shout out to DeAndre Jordan for improving his free throw shooting to that degree because the dude was rough, man. Like, y'all know he was bad from shooting free throws. And 68% isn't nothing to to, to give a standing uh, ovation for, but at the same time, that's, that's actually, you know, working on development and improving a facet of your game that is weak. And DeAndre Jordan did that. Aside from that, the fact that he started as many games as he did, especially, you know, Jared Allen on the roster is laughable to me. Uh, I, 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 I mean... He really only started six, but they came down, you know, toward the end of the year directly after Atkinson's dismissal. So I think that should tell you a little bit something about the way that uh, that whole thing happened with Kenny. But he was solid there. Going from one big to another, uh, a big who's 10 years younger than Jordan, we go to Jared Allen, who also had a pretty solid year. Again, uh, did a good job defending the rim, was another guy who, you know, had point blank range and he averaged double figures, 11 points, nine rebounds a night. Uh, 1.3 blocks a night. That was to lead the Nets. The next closest one was DeAndre Jordan with just under a block a contest. Uh, you know, Jared Allen played well. He didn't have a, a, a great year, uh, per se. 65% from two, 63% from the free throw line. Obviously room for improvement there. But as far as one of the best rim protectors in the league, he did his job. He did effectively. Now, whether he is someone who's av available and on the move, since obviously with KD and Kyrie, they want DeAndre Jordan to get more of a role on this team and presumably that of a starter. So that is something to consider there. But Jared Allen, another solid year, another young guy who can develop even more. After that, you have Zan Musa, Timothy Liawu Kabaro, Rodion Kurox, and Nicholas Claxton, um, all guys who had their moments uh you know, because everyone had to have a moment during this uh, injury-filled Brooklyn Nets season. But no one I really want to focus on uh, super specifically. Uh, except Timothy Leal Cabarro. He was on fire toward the end of the year. The dude was just averaging career highs and, and scoring and knocking down threes at a high clip. And I was just like, this is the same TLC who suffered in Chicago. And didn't he have a cup of tea in Philadelphia? And almost thought he was an OKC. Like, like this Timothy Leal Cabarro, like that guy. But yeah, 
He shot 38% from three and on no small number of attempts either. Uh, just under four a game, well, three and a half to be specific. Only 24 years old. I I don't know why I thought he was older, but I did. Uh, you know, low volume of, of shots tonight, but someone who played very effectively and someone I expect to be on the Nets last, next year because of his, you know, I mean, not on the Nets next year just because he's under contract, but just someone who's going to get um, a, a more consistent role because of what he was able to provide if this is indeed, you know, his... his uh, new level of play moving forward. So that remains to be seen, but there was something to be said for Timothy Leavo Cabarro, TLC in the building. Don't go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a horrible analogy, horrible uh, segue. I don't even know what you call it. We're just going to move on to players who are free agents now. <laughs> so when it comes to free agents, the Nets really have three, uh, one of which they have a team option on. That is Garrett Temple. Temple, uh, he, had, he was paid five mil. 34. He's going to enter his 11th season. He actually, and this is the funniest little piece I was able to find in Brooklyn, uh, at least just through my little digging, he averaged 10 points a game this past year, and or 10.3 to be exact, if we're just going to go through the numbers, 32% from three on six attempts a game, uh, 47% from two. Garrett Temple's been in the league 10 years, and that is his career high in terms of scoring in a season, 10 points a game. So I just thought, hey, agent like fine wine gear. But, I mean, he's someone who, you know, he had his, his best offensive year. Uh, he can definitely shoot the three. Middling success, but, you know, there's something there. He's someone who is still a, a decent defender. Uh, definitely another of the healthier Nets playing 62 games. Someone whose leadership was, was important for that locker room. And someone I think that they will bring back at a low cost, whether that's picking that option or whatever the case may be. Then you go into the two unrestricted guys, Joe Harris and Wilson Chandler. Don't really have a thought on Wilson Chandler. I feel like teams just seem to like the guy. Um, I like the idea of him, even though he is uh, 32, he'll be 33. Uh, he did miss 25 games, and when he came back, he shot, uh, you know, pretty interesting. 30% from three, 59% uh, from two, but overall field goal percentage, 40%. Uh, not super great, so, I mean... He could come back, you know. I think their main priority, and, and this was just bearing the lead, is Joe Harris. Joe Harris, 29, unrestricted free agent. Third leading, well, statistically, uh, by a number of games, he was more like the fourth leading scorer for this Nets team. But 14.5 points, 4.3 rebounds, 2.1 assists, over 69 games, 30 big minutes a night, 42% from three on just under six threes a game. The guy is an invaluable part of Brooklyn in terms of not only creating gravity for his shooter, but also someone who actually made some plays off the dribble, someone who flashed a little bit of playmaking. He's not going to be a, a guard or a forward in that way, but who knows his role and does it very effectively. And I think that when you have a team that's going to have guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you know, take a large amount of attention, you want to have solid shooters. And if they have anything aside from that, and with Joe Harris's frame, he's someone who can rebound a little bit. I think you do that. And the Nets said uh, several times this offseason so far that they're making re-signing Harris a priority. So it remains to be seen, you know, what figure he comes back for in how many years, being 29, and whether or not, you know, his player type will age gracefully. I tend to feel okay about it, but but you never know. Uh, especially for someone who's, it's not like he's 6'9", you know what I mean? Uh, he's someone who, decent three-point shooter, been around a little bit now. Been in Brooklyn for the last couple of years, but y'all remember, he started off um, over in uh, Cleveland with LeBron. Uh, not really playing too much, but but starting off there. But he's someone. Uh, I mean, for his career, he's his shooting from the season 42% is right in line with his shooting for his career. He's a 42% three-point shooter over his career. But a guy at six six two twenty, you know, he's someone who can uh, 
definitely uh you know mix it up down there in the boards a little bit but you know what his role is to go there and shoot also pro bas uh, basketball reference a nickname he has beef jerky joe so yeah uh do with that information what you will um aside from that those are players i i i think as far as the draft and what they're what they're looking for I wouldn't be surprised if I see the Nets move any assets they have for a third star. Talk about Bradley Beal's been thrown around, even though, you know, Bradley said that he wants to stay with the Wizards and he's made a big thing about loyalty, continuity, sticking with John Wall, seeing where the Wizards can go next year. Uh, there's also Drew Holiday. Uh, again, I mentioned this before, I'm going to have a, a podcast. Actually, by the time you hear this, you'll probably be hearing the other one with Gary Bouguet. We're going to talk about the New Orleans Pelicans in some depth. Talk about Drew Holiday and where he could go, what pieces could be had. But since it's Brooklyn, I mean, I could see, you know, um, Karis LeVert and whatever picks the Nets have of now, uh, st you know, straight up for Drew Holiday. And hopefully if I don't have to include Jared Allen, then no. But if I do, then okay, because according, this is what I wouldn't personally do. But since I'm presumably in charge of the Nets right now. And they were the ones who were persuaded, quote-unquote, to take on DeAndre Jordan because of Kevin Durant and Kyrie. The new, okay, we're going to go all in on winning now. That's fine. If that's the case, then this is what I have to do. Buy Jared Allen. Buy Karis Avert. Welcome to Drew, Drew, Drew Holiday, you know? So that's something that I think they would do. As far as the offseason plan of attack, that's what you're looking for. If you can get pieces that can kind of, you know, better fit with your team, more shooters, uh, more defenders for the cheap, more kind of two-way wings, uh, that, that would be helpful. But honestly, you're looking for a third star. You know, and whether and you look up and down the roster, and if you don't think that uh, Karis averts that, I feel even less that Spencer Dinwiddie's that, then you're on the prowl for that. And so, going into next season, I definitely think that for Brooklyn, it is a season to compete. You know, you you have a thin timeline. Not only do you have contract status, but like I said, Kevin Durant is 32. Kyrie Irving is in the prime of his career. You're making moves right now. You're in Eastern Conference that you have the the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, who knows what the 76ers are doing? You already have Boston and Toronto going to be more or less where they were this past year. And now this is where you stake your claim. Indiana's there too. But Brooklyn's going to stake their claim and say, okay, here we are. And make and make peace for that. And you're going to have the war with the New York Knicks. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's going to be no war between that. But this is what I think that the Nets are going to be doing. I mean, I don't think that's going to be hard. As far as will they make the playoffs next season? Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think that they will. Uh, just because I think of them being better than you know, the the dregs of the Eastern Conference. But, yeah, what they do with that 19th pick in the first round, that 55th pick in the second, I think both of them go. I do think that Drew Holiday's acquired or at least attempted to be acquired, and I think he brings um, what he brings fits perfectly with what Brooklyn needs. So now we got to go to the superlatives. Um, the best player. I went back and forth between this, between Kyrie and Kevin Durant. I am going to go with Kyrie right now. And I know, I know, I know. Kevin Durant just objectively is a better player but i want to see how he comes back from that achilles injury and whether he's more or less the same until that i'm gonna go with Kyrie because i've seen what he's done so far in the 20 games that we had and the dude was Kyrie, you know upper echelon point guard one of the top 15 or so players in the nba in that just you know kind of a random mix of players i can just say top 15 and we go yeah right there so i'm gonna go with Kyrie for now until proven otherwise worst player um under contract is how I did this, and I mean, it's it has to be, what, Zan Musa? I mean, I just don't remember him making enough of an impact for me to go, oh yeah, that's someone I, I, I like, do you know what I mean? So I'm going to look at him as someone that is there. Uh, by the way, speaking of players, don't let me forget uh, the two-way contract guys. We had uh, Chris Chioza, 
uh, 24-year-old guard from Florida who had some minutes, uh, big minutes in the second half of the season for the Nets and in the postseason. And then you have Jeremiah Martin, uh, 23-year-old guard from Memphis. So those are the two-way players. And with that, I've mentioned every player on the Nets roster, but I wanted to shout out those guys as well. Um, but that's who I'd say is the worst player. I mean, you could kind of pick out of the hat in the, in the bottom of the rotation, but I'm going to go with Zan Musa. I'm, I just, and not because I think he's a bad player, but just because I don't think he is a great to good player. And so there's my thoughts. Play with the highest potential. I'm going with Cass Avert. Really high on him. As I've already said before, combo guard with some size, some decent creation ability. I think if he becomes a more consistent outside shooter, that he could possibly become an all-star. Now, granted, I mentioned this before. It would be more like a D'Angelo Russell all-star or like one of those nods that gave to that uh, team basketball Hawks team like five years back. Remember with, uh, <laughs> with um, and now of course I'm drawing blanks on every member of that Hawks team. But... <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, four of them were all stars, you know. In fact, we're gonna do some live, uh, some live behind the scenes work because I don't know why they're so random. I'm forgetting every member of them. Uh, oh, Kyle Korver, that's the first one that popped to mind because, of course, it is. Um, Kyle Korver, Damari Carroll, he was the only one that was not named on that 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 all star list, but he was there as well. Paul Millsap, uh, it, it was a solid, it was a solid unit. Um, I think that was the one where we had. Um, the one All-Star game for... Don't let me forget this now. Point guard. He just got traded back there. Um, oh, my gosh. Corbin. Jeff Teague. So, all those guys. Anyway, I'm, I'm losing sight of what I was saying. Basically, I could see him in an All-Star in that way. You know, maybe injury replacement or something. Now, is there a higher ceiling for him? Oh, there most certainly is. But this is where I see right now. Remind me, by the way, y'all. I need to do a show on the worst players to be named All-Stars. Because, you know, I think that would be a fun project. Some, you know, I'd probably have to bring up, um, oh my gosh, there's a few. The Jam- Jamal McGlure, you know, there's a few. There's a few guys that, that uh, you look back and you're like, they were on an all-star team? Really weird. Anyways, on to the next superlative. <laughs> All right, so my next superlative is a player who is most likely to be moved next season. Unfortunately, I just brought up Karras as having the highest potential. And sadly, that on a more veteran team looking to make the most of his championship window, to me, that means he's the one that's most likely on the chopping block. So... I mean, he's someone, again, 25, shown some potential. You know, you can talk yourself into him being a, a primary initiator of an offense. Uh, and I think that's why he's potentially on the block. After that, I would say someone like Spencer Dinwiddie. And then after that, I would probably start looking at Jared Allen. So that those are the three for me. A player that someone is really, folks are really sleeping on, on this Nets team, it was really weird to find that. Um, TLC was a candidate for me. Only because he came on strong in the back half of the year, but I'd like to see some more of that next season to see if that's more sustainable. Uh, Chris Childs as a point guard, I was really impressed with him. He was very much like a Fred Van, v- Fred Van Vliet light. Uh, definitely liked the way he was able to take control of the Nets a little bit uh, down the stretch uh, as a point guard. I, th- I thought that was really interesting and something I'm going to keep on for next season too on a two-way contract. But at the same time, that was someone that I don't know if you're sleeping on, if, if they're not someone that you're even... Well, I guess the definition of sleeping on is that you're not aware. So those two. I would say uh, Chris Chioza and then... Uh, Timothy Leawo Cabarro. He had a very strong second half of the year. I can't state that enough. Okay, next superlative. A no, 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 yes player. And every time I bring this up, I think of Ron Artest, Game 7, 2010 NBA Finals. About a minute left in the game. He jab-stepped on Paul Pierce and took a three. Get off of a pass off of a double-team Kobe. And when he did that, I was like, what are you doing, Ron Artest? And then he made it. He's blowing kisses to the crowd. I was like, yes! Everything was all well. And the Lakers are going to win that championship. Sorry, the Lakers are going to have to finish the rest of the story. Anyways, the no, 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 yes player for me on the Brooklyn Nets is Torian Prince. And 
I mean, that's easy. This dude takes shots sometimes that have you thinking he was the main man of his own franchise in a prior life. I mean, for reals. You shake your head, and mentally you trade him as he takes the shot, just will launch some whack stuff. And then, if he makes it, you know, you're singing his praises. <laughs> or you don't. I, I don't know. Anyway, Prince wins this nomination. Okay. Top two guys you go to when the game's online. Whew, this might be a tough one, but um, ultimately, I'm going to go with Garrett Temple and Tyler Jones. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Of course, you got to go with the guys who picked up last summer. KD and Kyrie are dynamic shot makers and honestly, some of the best to ever do it. Whenever the game starts to choke up and all ball, on ball creations at a premium, you know that Kyrie and KD have shown on the biggest stage that they can take you home. And that is what Brooklyn expected, and I'm sure that's what the players expect to bring. And as, as an NBA fan, I'm sure we all know that when the game is on the line, you have two of the best to do it. I don't think you're faulted on that. Tough shots, they've done it. Long range shots, they've done it. Tough finishes, they've done it. Uh, off the dribble, they've done it. I, I think that even with KD, let's say, you know, being 5% less of a player than he was, 10% less of a player than he was, he is still a very dang good shot maker. So I'm looking at that. Now, the top two guys you go to for a clutch defensive possession. This one was weird. Ultimately, I picked Torian Prince and Jared Allen. And I don't feel good about picking that. I'm sorry. Torian Prince's defender is meh. Uh, I wouldn't even call it overrated because I think we saw this year that, like, he's he's a med defender, you know? And then as far as uh, Jared Allen, I don't still don't like him on switches uh, consistently, but he's someone that is a great rim protector. He was the best shot blocker on the net, so I kind of felt like I had to go with him. He definitely gets the edge on DeAndre Jordan for me. And then Torian Prince is the one guy that I would kind of put in my head, okay, perimeter defender that I don't immediately shudder at. You know, other guys compete. But I like I, I like Torian Prince on that one. So, yeah, it's not the best one I feel for, but top two guys to go to a clutch defensive possession, you hope that you don't have to. I'm going to go with Torian Prince, and uh, I'm going to go with Jared Allen. So that's mine. If y'all have any thoughts on the Nets, any conversation, hit me up at CorbinNBA on Twitter because I do want to have this conversation. I just want to talk some basketball, y'all. The season will come back real soon. But with that, that will conclude the Brooklyn Nets offseason outlook. Hope we did a little bit of a, a dive into where they're at, where they're going. I think it's pretty cut and dry. They're hoping to compete. We'll see what happens, whether some trades be made. I'm definitely going to be looking at them come the NBA draft in a week and some change, 11 days to be specific, because I'm curious to see if the ball starts to drop on that day. So until then, y'all, you know, we'll be right back real soon. we got to crank out these offseason previews because uh, the season's come back a lot faster than I expected. But I'm Frosty, as always. So y'all stay Frosty, please. And, uh... You know what we're going to do. We're going to talk to y'all real soon. All right, y'all.